If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can use the blue book in the pew or in your chair and turn to page 976. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin reading with verse 11. Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." Thus the reading of God's Word. Let us pray. O Lord, bless us that we may all the more understand where we have come from and what you have made us to be as the new people of God in Christ. So bless us, Lord, that we will manifest your grace in our lives and we will manifest the new humanity before a in in the midst of a dark world in which, as Paul says, we are lights in a dark generation. And may we be, Lord, a symbol and anticipation of the final oneness that will come with all things when Christ comes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you go on the internet, as I did this week, you will find hundreds of zombie movies, hundreds. I don't mean that I've seen them all but uh, this week, but the list just goes on and on and on. And in every movie, at least the few I've seen, you have the healthy people that are not infected and you've got the unhealthy people that are infected with the virus or the whatever it is, right? So in the Night of the Living Dead, one of the early ones, black and white, 
I saw it pretty late at night after my parents were in bed. And I just knew I was not going to make it from the TV to my bed. I just knew I'd be dead. I was, I, they were going to kill me. And they would have come that night, except my brother was in the bed next to me and so, uh, or across from me. They don't kill two people at once, only when you're by yourself, okay? <clears throat> but in that movie, they were holed up in a house, all the healthy people. And, the, of course, the zombies were outside. There was this division of them. Now, later... I generally haven't seen horror movies, but my daughter, Anna Kate, her boyfriend at the time, drugged me to see the remake, one of the remakes, Dawn of the Dead, okay? This was around 2000. And so these zombies were way worse because instead of, you know, giving it this, they could run after you. So it was all the more terrifying. Um, And... Why do I do that? Um, So the Dawn of the Dead, and they were holed up in a mall. All the healthy people uh, that we knew of were in the mall, and all the zombies, the infected people were around them in warm bodies, kind of a spoof and a little bit of a comedy. Uh, There's a great wall that separates. All the healthy people are behind the hall. The uh, zombies are on the other end. And at the end of I Am Legend uh, with Will Smith, you see that there's this great wall where the healthy people had uh, been behind this wall. And in The Walking Dead, the TV series, apparently there's some shifting places of protection. One is a prison, uh, etc. So uh, what I want to, the point I want to make, which you're really wondering, what in the world, <laughs> is that this in some ways is a picture of what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians chapter 2, okay? Now, please have your Bibles open to, to look at these things, but earlier in the chapter, he said this, you were, speaking to Gentiles again, okay, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So you once were walking in trespasses and sins, and you were dead. Sounds to me like the walking dead, okay? And in our passage, Paul is talking about that same former situation, okay? He describes it as being at that time in verse 13, I mean in verse 11, and then in verse 13, he talks about... uh, the, the uh, once at that point, once you were, same thing as in chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. So this time he's talking about it in the way it had separated mankind. He's talking to the Gentiles here, the non-Jews, and he says, at that time, then you were separated from Christ. That is, you were separated from the messianic promise that the Jews had. You didn't have a Messiah promise at all. You're you're cut off from that. You were alienated from uh, Israel's citizenship. You didn't belong to her people. Then he says, you were strangers to her gracious promises that she had in God. And so, therefore, you had no hope. No matter what you were pinning your hopes on, he says to the Gentiles, you really didn't have a hope. And he says, you were without God. You may have had this God or that God or many gods. You were without the true God. And so he's saying here, 
basically, you had nothing at that point. You really had nothing. You were Christless, godless, homeless, or you want to put it countryless, okay? Promiseless, let's invent a word, and hopeless. He says in verses 13 and 17, you were far away. And in verses 14 and 15, he even talks about this dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and between you. So he's saying to these Gentile believers, remember, you were the walking dead in sin and you were outside the wall and you had nothing. You need to remember that. Not in order to you know, be depressed over where you've come from, but to underscore again, look what God has done for you. Look where God has brought you. Look what you are from where you came. So the picture is bleak, harsh, and appalling. It's tragic. It's catastrophic. It's a heartbreaking picture. Now, that was then, but most of the passage is about now, okay? As he says uh, in verse 13 or later in verse 16 or, or 19, no longer, okay? You're no longer in that situation. Your situation is different. So the first point was the then, and now our second point is now. As he says in verse 13, you were far away, but now you're brought near. How did that happen? How did it happen that you were far away, you were dead outside the wall, but now you've been brought near? Verses 14 through 18 deal with that. This is how this came about. He begins pretty straightforwardly in verse 14. For he himself, that is Christ, he is our peace. That means, as you know this word, he is our wholeness. He is our full health. He is the one by whom we are put together as people again. So, interestingly, Paul says peace is is a person, okay? He is our peace. It is in him that this peace is created. That's why, again and again, you have these phrases, in Christ Jesus, in his flesh, in himself. And it's through him this peace is created. So you have these phrases, by the blood of Jesus, or through the cross, or through him. So it's in Christ and through Christ that this peace is created in him is our peace. Peace, this kind of peace he's talking about, this wholeness between human beings doesn't really exist except in Christ. And you see in these verses that peace means that we Gentiles and Jews that were divided are now made one people. That's emphasized again and again. The two have become one. We've been created into one body or one new man in Christ. Now, in the movie Dumb and Dumber, let's go to the opposite end of zombies. Um, They pick up a hitchhiker, and unknowingly, the hitchhiker, of course, is a hitman that's supposed to kill them both. But Jim Carrey says, you know, we usually don't pick up a hitchhiker, but 
I just think, I just feel that this one's okay. <laughs> of course, he doesn't know anything. <clears throat> so the guy's sitting in between them, and they're just annoying him to death. And finally, he just hollers, you know, guys, 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 guys. And they quieten down. And then Jim Carrey looks at him with a smile and says, hey, you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? And then, you know, he just hollers in his ear and the guy just goes nuts again. Incredibly obnoxious, right? Now, to get serious, you know what the most obnoxious and shall we say sickening and hateful thing to God is? It's broken relationships. Broken relationships. And you can understand this when you realize that God in his very being is a whole relationship and has always been a whole relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling in perfect, delighted love from all eternity. He's called the God of peace several times in the New Testament. Not only the God who brings wholeness, but he's the God who is wholeness, who has always been in himself a whole and perfect and beautiful relationship. You remember what God said in Genesis uh, chapter 2 when he made the man, and the man wasn't in conflict with anyone. It's just there wasn't another person. And just right there, God says, not good. Not good that there's not a relationship. Think how loud the not good is when he sees broken relationships. Think how terrible this is to this God of perfect relationship. And when you get further into this text, there's this, let's go back to this dividing wall, this broken relationship. What is this dividing wall that has Jews on the inside, according to our little image, and Gentiles as the walking dead outside? Now, it says that he tore this down, uh, and it says he tore the law down, like he abolished the law. Well, you know that he's not talking about what he did away with the law. So kids used to, you had to obey your parents. Not anymore. It's all gone. All over. Used to, you had to not kill or commit adultery or steal or lie. But that's gone because Jesus abolished the law. That's, you know, the law's gone. Well, obviously, that's not what he's talking about. And Paul in Romans 13 uh, says, Oh, nothing to anyone Uh, Oh, no man, anyone except to love one another because love is a fulfillment of the law. Well, if there's not a concern to fulfill the law, why would he even bring it up? If, If the law's abolished, it doesn't count anymore. Why would Paul say, this is why you need to love? Because it fulfills the law. And that's very important to fulfill that law in that sense, to manifest that love. But what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about this overall covenant of law with Israel uh, in which they had rules and regulations that separated the Jews from the nations around them. It's kind of a kindergarten period in a sense for the people of God with these things like food laws and uh, time laws and other things that kept them separated from uh, the nations around them, gave them layers of protection 
from the practices of the nations. But those laws caused a great hostility to spring up between them as uh, Jews of Paul's day in their passion to separate themselves grew to despise the Gentiles. And of course, the Gentiles in return despised the Jews. And this was a major rift and division in humanity was between Jews and Gentiles in the first century. So, a Jewish writing of the second century, Epistle of Aristeus, says this about those laws. Our lawgiver fenced us about, it's from the same root as the word wall in our passage, so talking about the same thing. He fenced us about with impenetrable palisades, okay, palisades, however you put and with walls of iron to the end that we should mingle in no way with any of the other nations, remaining pure in body and in spirit. And there you get the feel of it. We're keeping ourselves pure because they're infected with sin, and we are not, and we mustn't be. Well, there's that sense of separation. It gets better. So that we should be polluted by none or infected with perversions by associating with worthless persons. He has fenced us about, same word, on all sides with prescribed purifications in matters of food and drink and touch and hearing and sight. Okay? It's keeping us so that we're not infected with those perversions around us. You can imagine if that's how you're regarding the people around you, how the hostility is going to burst out in every way. So, in this passage, it's that hostility that's emphasized because he talks about it in verses 14 and 15. And then he finally gets to it at the end of this little section. It says, he killed the hostility. Okay. He killed the hostility. That is the great point. And here is how it was torn down. He says, the wall was torn down by blood. Weird, huh? The wall was torn down by blood, the shedding of Jesus' blood. The raising up the cross became the tearing down of this wall of hostility. Christ's radical loss of peace under the Father's wrath won our wholeness. He was shattered under the wrath of God so that Gentile and Jew might know the wholeness of relationship and by extension that all people of every kind and every race and color and class and nationality might know the wholeness of relationship. And so these laws that separated were smashed and in their place was the person of Christ by which both sides could be attached, not only to Christ, but then to each other. And so it was the suffering of Christ. Christ was broken apart, you might say, so that we as people might be put together in relationship. And not just put back with each other, but Importantly, and even most basically, that we would be put back together with God, okay? Because as he says in verse 16, to reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. So we are in one body together, but as one body, we are reconciled to God. 
And then in verse 18, he says, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. But that's interesting because if if we are both reconciled, it means that the Jews had to be reconciled as well. You get a little hint of this early in the passage when Paul says, uh, you are called the uncircumcised by the so-called circumcision made with hands in the flesh. Okay. In other words, that didn't really mean anything. That outward circumcision didn't make them automatically the people of God, and most at that time were not. And this passage makes, this part makes it clear, both had to be reconciled to God. As Paul says in Romans 3, both Jews and Gentiles are under the power of sin. And though I've only seen a few minutes of the TV series, The Walking Dead, I've read several of the synopses, right? And, uh, you know, like the cliff notes. Um, and it's interesting because he fought, Rick, the hero, finds out from uh, control, uh, the uh, Center of Disease Control in Atlanta, one final guy that's left, has not been killed, he finds out from him before that guy dies that everybody is infected with the virus, no matter what side of the wall you're on. And that's why when these healthy people die, whether they've been bitten by a zombie or not, they wake up and become zombies. So the real question of the title, it's kind of a play on words, who are the walking dead? The people outside the wall or the people inside the wall? And then that's further underscored by the fact, as you even read the synopsis, with how many times the healthy people are killing each other. (laughs) either to get power, to maneuver position, to create relationships or whatever. There's another take on the thing. Who are the walking dead? Are they these people outside or are we the walking dead? You see, that's the same with Gentile and Jews. They were all the walking dead. They all needed the redemption of Jesus Christ. They all utterly needed reconciliation to God. So, as it turns out, there's death on both sides of the wall. Both were alienated from God because of their sin. Both had cut themselves off from God because of their rebellion. And God came in Christ to suffer and die and atone for their sin, to set them free from their sin, to restore them to himself and in doing that to restore them to each other. And it's interesting in verse 15 that he uses this word that he might create in himself one new man. There's that idea of a new creation. The new creation of a new people. They became something that neither one of them had been before. See, in that the movie of uh, the movie of I Am Legend, he finally in the end has a vial of blood that will be used to heal all the infected people, right? And, and, and even in warm bodies, they gradually, the zombies turn out to change and become healed again. But just to become like 
the other people, but that's not this. They're not coming like the people behind the wall. They're becoming something wholly different now. It's as though the wall falls between them, and then this wall to the east of them also falls down, and it opens up to paradise, a new relationship to God. And in seeing that paradise, they're drawn together and restored to each other as they are restored to this God. That's the picture here. And so Clement, the father Clement in the early uh, centuries, called the joined together believing Jews and Gentiles a third race. A new race, see? A new race of people combining what was the greatest rift in the first century between Jew and Gentile and bringing them, making them one, these people that hated each other so badly. So we're a new humanity and not just Jew and Gentile, but we ideally are to form all kinds of people from all kinds of classes and all kinds of races brought together in a way that is astonishing. Because God is remaking us into something that's never been. A new humanity. In a new love and relationship that nobody can see anywhere else but in the church. Sad, isn't it? That so many in the 60s and 70s and 80s would have to say the most segregated place in America is the church. Manifesting the grace of God. Manifesting the love of Christ. By our continual hatred. You see, we're this new humanity, this new society made into something we weren't. Take the subject, uh, substances of uh, hydrogen and oxygen, right? So hydrogen, most abundant uh, substance in the universe In fact, the greatest mass of the universe is made up of hydrogen, which is remarkable because it's the lightest thing in the universe. You know, the number one on the periodic table. But that's what stars burn. Uh, Think of the billions, hundreds of billions of stars in billions of universes, uh, galaxies, and they're all burning hydrogen. I would say hydrogen is probably flammable. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and it is highly flammable. That's, of course, what the, um, the Hindenburg, the famous film of the Hindenburg, they think now that it wasn't actually the hydrogen that caught on fire, it's the aluminum siding, but then the hydrogen, you know, went to town after that. And then you take oxygen. Oxygen, 20% of our atmosphere, a little over that. We have to have it to breathe. In fact, if, as you study your body, you realize that uh, they tell you that your body is made up of more oxygen than anything else. That's just the way your body's made up. So pretty important thing to life. We have to breathe it. We're made up of it. But oxygen also is highly flammable, right? Well, kids, what happens when you put hydrogen 2 and oxygen together any any kid water water wait this flammable thing that burns stars and this thing that is is flammable you put them together and they form water and so what a picture that we come together you see we who in our natural state are basically as paul put it in another place hating 
and being hated. There's a summary of us. You were hating others and you're being hated. That's basically how you live in your life. And now we're made an oasis of love and kindness and goodness, one that becomes a water of refreshment where people have never seen such love. People who are not accepted in other places become accepted and not only accepted, but treasured and even needed in this place. What in the world is that? That's what God is making. God is making a new humanity, a new oasis of life within this dark world. And he did it through suffering. This God of wholeness who needed nothing himself, he was perfect in his wholeness forever. Why would you plan this as God? Why would you plan to suffer? But he suffered absolutely and infinitely to bring about this new creation, this new human wholeness. The wall was torn down by blood. I love how Paul puts it in verse 16, is that he killed the hostility. It's like he went to war against this hostility, which is so against his being because he's a whole being. You know, he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling in perfect love. And so he killed the hostility. And I love how uh, an earlier commentator, Robinson, puts it. He says this, Christ in his death was slain, but the slain was a slayer too. Isn't that lovely? He, and his, he was slain, but the slain was a slayer too. To let you know that in his death, there's this wonderful nobility and dignity that he died to kill the evil, you see. He died to kill that which separated us from one another, to create a humanity, a community of love. It reminds me of yet another movie, and here we go, the full gamut, uh, to the movie Tangled, okay? At the end of Tangled, in which Rapunzel has this long, just unbelievably long golden hair, and in this uh, movie, her hair is able to heal people if she sings this song, okay? And also, this hair is able to renew this woman who has, she doesn't, Rapunzel doesn't know it, but she's been held captive basically her whole life. And this golden hair renews her mother so that she's continually young, or so-called mother. She's not her mother. Uh, So, at the end... This mother is going to, this person, she's called uh, Mother Gothel. She is going to take Rapunzel away and keep her a prisoner forever so that she alone can have the benefit of her hair and nobody will cut it or do anything. Because if you cut it, it stops being that golden hair that heals. It just turns into regular, everyday hair. So Flynn Ryder, who we know is also Eugene, um, he is coming, riding madly. He, she lets down her hair from the tower. He climbs up to try to rescue her, and immediately he's stabbed by Mother Gothel. He's dying. It's over. She's going to take 
Rapunzel away, but Rapunzel begs, let me save him. Let me save him. And then I promise I'll be your slave forever. I'll never try to get away from you. I promise. So he lets her go over to him and and he's begging her, don't do this. Don't do this. I can't let you do this. She says, but I must, I must. I have to save you. And then Flynn Rider, great, great, noble action. He takes out a piece of broken glass. He grabs her hair and he whacks it off. Knowing that it will be to his death because he can't be healed by it anymore. But this sets her free because immediately Mother Gothel starts aging to become this decrepit person that falls out the window to her death. The slain was also a slayer. It's gorgeous. That's what Jesus did for you. Purposely slain so that what oppressed you, what separates you as human beings, would be slain. The slain is a slayer. And so, this separation is not there anymore. They are reconciled to God. They're reconciled to His love. They believe in His love through the cross. They are changed by that love. They begin to participate in that love that has been made known to them as they recognize Him as the slain who slayed our enemy who destroyed death, who, does, who, who won for us forgiveness, who won for us restoration to God. And in response to that, they begin to live out that love and manifest it. And of course, in the wake of that love, they're reconciled. They begin to be reconciled because they're both admitted to a treasure they couldn't have imagined, they couldn't have anticipated. And lost in that treasure... And their mutual humility and astonishment and joy, their divisions begin to melt away. And so, Paul says, he came preaching this peace to you far off, and he preached that peace to those. He preached to people on both sides of the wall because they both needed it. And that may be a sign of, uh, it may indicate his death itself, which was a proclamation, or it may indicate the, the apostles and their proclamation of that truth. But he goes on to say, so now, now, you who didn't have any citizenship, you're now citizens, fellow citizens of this new humanity, this better kingdom that never had existed in that way before. You are family members. You were without God. Now you're the very dwelling place of God. And you're going to be the dwelling place of God forever. You were strangers, but no longer are you strangers. And dear friends, this wholeness, this completeness as the people of God, this being built on this foundation of the apostles and prophets, the revelation that the apostles and, and New Testament prophets re- gave away, uh, gave to the people, and Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that's set in place that determines the lines of this building. Everything built on him, everything flows from him, everything is held together by him. You're built on this glorious revelation, you're built on Christ. And you are made whole. Well, this is just an anticipation of the wholeness of all things in the last day. Because he said in Ephesians 1 that as his plan, he's going to unite everything in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. 
We are part of that now. He is uniting things on earth. He's uniting us to one another. This is an anticipation, a demonstration, a taste of what's coming when everything will be united in Christ, even as we are beginning to be united in Christ. And so we're exhibit A of what's coming. How important is it that we manifest that beauty? That means if you want to have a fraternity or sorority kind of church where everybody's like you, okay? This, well, let me, before I say that, in Ephesians 3, the very next chapter, he's talking about this union of Jew and Gentile. And he says in verse 10 of that chapter, and the angels are learning about the wisdom of God as they see this union. Now, if you want a fraternity of people like you from your class and your wealth and people that are like you and your personality, people that are always easy to be around and all that kind of thing, that's the kind of church you're working for and want. Angels aren't going to be amazed at that. Angels aren't going to care about that. What they're going to care about is seeing people that couldn't be united in any other way, but they're united in Christ That causes the angels to gawk at the wisdom of God. And mustn't we be about reconciling one with another? If you're at odds with anyone here, that you would work to reconcile because you're manifesting that we all are reconciled to God and he has reconciled us to each other. And be comforted that we're growing, he says. There's an odd building that grows. So, we're not there yet. We, we will disappoint each other. We will hurt each other. But we'll continually try to manifest reconciliation. We'll continually try to grow more and more in our servanthood and, and love to one another. Looking in hope to that final day when one day we really will be perfect in our relationships. Just like God is. He is going to make us finally, this dwelling place that he's creating, is going to finally have a be a beautiful picture of who he is as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Glory to God that you are part of that. You are part of what he is doing that will last forever. You know, in Tangle, he was raised, let's say, from the dead. <laughs> a little bit different. But a drop of her tear fell on him as she was crying over his death. And you tend to think it was because of his, the nobility of his sacrifice that even that tear that fell upon him caused him to be raised again. And Jesus was raised, though, truly, because of the nobility of his sacrifice, raised then to become the one who would create this new humanity and his new resurrection in life. We are a part of that resurrection. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the great work of Christ, that he would suffer so much to bring about this repair of broken relationship. Lord, how critically important it must be to you that Jesus died to make us one. He is our peace through his blood, through the cross. Oh, Lord, give us grace that we ever, ever will be manifesting the new humanity in Christ until that day 
when we and all things will be made whole. We praise you. Amen.